Author Media presents Novel Marketing, the longest-running book marketing podcast in the world. This is the show for writers who want to build their platform, sell more books, and change the world with writing worth talking about. I'm your host, Thomas Umstead Jr., and today we're going to talk about money and specifically where to spend your precious marketing dollars, and perhaps just as importantly, where not to spend your marketing dollars. We're gonna be talking budgets, we're gonna be talking strategy, but first I'd like to talk mindset. Spending money on marketing is not like spending money on food, right? You spend money on food and the next day you're hungry again and you have to spend money on food again. When done well, spending money on marketing is more like investing, where the money you put in returns with a bigger payoff later on. In fact, it's like buying money at the money store. Or another way to think of it, it's like buying readers at the reader store. Uh, The goal is to buy readers for less money than you get from that reader when they purchase your book. Uh, So one way to think of this is how much would you pay uh, to buy a $1 bill? Well, you know, you'd pay probably up to 99 cents, right? And how many $1 bills would you buy for 99 cents? As many as you could. Because the more $1 bills you buy for 99 cents, the more money you ultimately have. So if you make $5 on each reader, how much money would you be willing to spend to acquire that reader? For most authors, it's up to and including $5. Because once they become a reader of this book, there's a good chance they'll become a reader of the next book. Uh, But if you can get that reader for $4 or for $3, so much the better. I was talking with an author earlier today, and she's able to buy $5 readers for about $2. And it's working out really well for her. She is looking at ways of spending more money on marketing because the money that she's spending right now is bringing such a great return. So it's not about how much you spend overall, or it's not only about that. Because if once you get marketing to work for you, and we'll talk about the different things to spend money on here in a bit, uh, but once you get uh, marketing to work for you, you actually want to spend as much as you can. And an indication that your marketing is failing or that your book is failing is when you're trying to spend as little as possible. Because when you spend $5 to acquire a reader, you don't get a $5 reader, you get nothing. It's like buying food, right? And you're hungry the next day. Now, uh, for some authors, it may make sense to overspend on readers, you know, during the launch, you know, trying to, when you're trying to get the momentum or the buzz building for your book. Uh, but this can be risky, right? Because um, you're losing money in the hopes that you'll make it back later. And I will say many of the authors who use the strategy end up losing money. Uh, not all, though, because there is instances when you get the word of mouth buzz buzzing, right? The, you've knocked the rocks off the top of the cliff and the avalanche follows after that. But in general, we're going to be talking about um, more reliable ways to spend money where you're more likely to get your money back. But first, you need to take an assessment of your assets and know how much money you have to spend in the first place. And by money, I don't just mean cash. I also mean time. So I have something I've created called the Author Success Matrix, and you can find it at the show notes at novelmarketing.com forward slash 207. It's a four square 
grid. So there's four boxes, and I'll, I'll walk you through them uh, verbally here, but you can look at them, of course, in the show notes. So the first, the top left is Time Rich and Cash Rich. These are authors who have both time and money, and they are the most likely to succeed. They can invest in training uh, so that they know who to hire and how to work with those experts, how to speak the language of experts. This is where we all wish we were, and almost no authors are in this box. So the next box over is Time Poor and Cash Rich. These are authors who are uh, wealthy. Often they have very uh, high-paying jobs, but they're also very demanding jobs. They don't have a lot of time to spend on marketing their book, but they do have a lot of money to spend marketing their book. So for these authors, the best path is to hire experts to do most of the work for you. Uh, You do want to try to carve out enough time so you can learn how to interact with those experts and talk with them intelligently. Uh, But ultimately, you know, there are companies that will just, for $100,000, they'll match you up with all the best people. And they really do match you up with the best people, but it's also $100,000. And for a certain kind of author, that is worth it. There's also companies that will do it for $20,000 and for $10,000. There's all different price points. And they're targeting the cash-rich, time-poor author. And some people will be like, those companies are ripping you off. You could do those things yourself, you know, much cheaper. And while theoretically you could do those things yourself, if somebody is a CEO of a big company, they literally don't have the time. And it's better for them to work their job where they're making lots of money and then spend some of that money that they're making hiring somebody else to do all of the work uh, to write their book. Uh, then, so those are the first two. Those are the uh, cash rich uh, squares. Now let's talk about the cash poor squares. So the next square, uh, this is on the bottom left of our little matrix, and this is time rich and cash poor. This is where I think the majority of authors fit. They have time, but they don't have a lot of cash. And for this kind of author, uh, it's almost the exact opposite of the one we just talked about. This author needs to invest in training. So what little money they have, they need to spend on training. Um, And also what time they have, they spend on training. And so that they can learn how to do things skillfully themselves. So instead of hiring a firm to do advertising, they do the advertising themselves and they buy a course on how to do advertising. Instead of hiring a firm to build them a website, they take a course on how to build a website or listen to free podcasts like this one, right? So um, you are all already doing this by nature of listening to this podcast. And there is a uh, pro tip or a hack here. And that is as you're investing in yourself and learning, a great way to ramp up faster is to get a job as a virtual assistant for another successful author. This way you can trade some of your time for money because there are things that do cost money and there's no way around it and really uh, no good way for you to become an expert at it in any meaningful amount of time. And, And so you're able to trade your time for money. But at the same time, by being a virtual assistant for a successful author, you are learning from that author about the business and and learning all kinds of useful skills. This is a really great a hack. I've seen many authors use this, and often they only last as a virtual assistant for a year or two before they go off to be their own success in their own right from uh, everything they've gained from that author, both the knowledge and the money. Uh, and they're both happy, right? The author who isn't, you know, spending that money to hire the VA is also happy. All right, so now we're to the fourth and final box, and this is people who are time poor and cash poor. And for these people, 
all I can say is you will fail. <laughs> you can't reap what you don't sow. And if you want to reap, you must sow. And so something is going to have to change. You, if you want to be a success in publishing, you have to make publishing a priority. And that means a priority in times of money or a priority in terms of time or ideally both. But if you're not even willing to make time for this, you are just going to fail. And so don't even bother, right? Go do the other things that you're spending your time on and your other money on. Enjoy those things and don't worry about publishing. There's lots of other people who are happy to write uh, books instead. Uh, and this is where I think it takes a um, an honest look in the mirror because a lot of people like the idea of being a published author. They like the idea of being a successful indie author, but they're not willing uh, to invest the time and money that it takes uh, to get there. And you're better off being honest with yourself at the beginning than kind of lying to yourself for years while you kind of sort of do nothing, but still somehow have less time and money uh, than you thought you did and because of your dabbling. So uh, that is the author success matrix. We're talking big picture here. We're going to get to the specifics here in a moment. Um, but a couple other kind of big picture pieces of advice. Um, one is I, I recommend when it comes to marketing and publishing to avoid going into debt uh, to market or publish your book. Um, it's just too risky. And it, I think it's much better to save up your money ahead of time, create a budget, you know, even if it's a, a modest budget, to have that budget ahead of time and to spend it uh, on purpose rather than to be on debt. Because if you're still paying for book one, you know, you have payments on your credit card, which are really expensive, while you're also trying to pay for book two, that is a cycle you may never escape from. And I've worked with thousands of authors over the last 10 years. And I can't think of a single instance when an author went into debt to publish their book uh, and it worked out and they were glad they did. Not a single time. I'm not saying it's never happened. I'm just saying I've never seen it and I've interacted with a lot of authors. Uh, so it's better to, to save your money and then spend it. Um, publishing is just too high risk. Uh, so I, I, I recommend avoiding debt. Uh, and then the other thing that I, a couple more things, I, I recommend that you track your return on investment. Uh, we did a whole episode about this, episode 191, which is just uh, a few episodes ago, uh, titled How to Track Your Marketing and uh, Efforts. And this is really important because you want to know if your marketing is working for you and specifically where your, your money is working for you. So you, uh, there, if you don't measure, there's two mistakes you can make. You can cut back on things that are working because you don't realize that they're working, or you can continue to do things that are not working, which is far more often the case where authors are spending money uh, and they're not getting back that money and they're certainly not getting back that money and extra money. So measurement is key. And we have a whole episode on how to measure all the, we have lots of tools in that episode. So if you haven't listened to episode 191, I encourage you to listen to it. It's one of the most important episodes we've done actually. And, and one of the more kind of unique episodes, because not a lot of people are talking about this. Um, because a lot of marketing people don't like measurements. It scares them. So, you know, accountability is scary. And often we don't want to hold ourselves accountable either. If you're, you are your own marketing person, you don't want to see that it's not working. Because that can be psychologically painful to see that you, know, you showed your book to 100,000 people on Facebook and not very many of them purchased it. Th that's difficult. And I, and I get that. Uh, but... Once you realize that, it helps you know you need to make some changes, whether the cover, write a new book, or, or what have you. 
All right. Uh, the next thing I recommend is that you create a budget. We already talked about this a little bit, but um, I, I watch a lot of authors who kind of get into publishing, especially with their first book, and they kind of fit into two categories. There's the author who has a set amount of money. Let's say this $2,000, and they're like, this is the money that I have to spend, and they're looking for the best bang that they can get for that $2,000, and that is what I recommend. Not $2,000 per se. It doesn't really matter what the price point is. It could be $500, it could be 10000 What matters is that you decide ahead of time. I have this lump sum of money and I'm going to spend it launching my book. Uh, these are the authors who get by far get the best results per dollar. The other approach that I see is authors who are just trying to spend as little as possible. And the problem with that is that it makes it really hard to know where to spend money, right? Do you pay the, to get the money for an author portrait or do you spend that money on a website or do you spend that money on a PR campaign or do you, you know, there's all these different things to spend money on. You can't buy them all, right? Or you can't, and you certainly can't buy them all from the highest, most expensive vendors in each one of those spaces. So where do you spend your money? If you don't have a fixed budget, there's really no way to know uh, and kind of measure them against each other. But if you have a budget, it, it, think of it as being like a trunk of your car, right? You have a budget and that's how big the trunk is, right? So some people have a SUV size budget and other people have a, you know, a very small car's trunk's worth of budget. But once you know how big the trunk is, then you can work on getting all the suitcases and luggage to fit in there just right. And you can do the puzzle matching. But if you have no idea how big the car is going to be, um, it's very easy uh, to have things end in disaster. So this is what I'm wanting you to avoid. So I know authors hate creating a budget, but it really is a good business practice. Not just for publishing, but also for life. Uh, budgeting is, is a good idea. All right, so now let's talk about specific areas to spend money. What's a good idea? What's a bad idea? I'm going to break these into uh, four big categories. I guess five if you want to include the, uh, the fifth one. But the, the four main categories are author assets, book infrastructure, book launch, and ongoing marketing. And then category five is things to avoid. So that's not really a category, but I guess it is because I have a lot of things for you to avoid spending money on. All right, so let's talk about author assets. Uh, author assets uh, of the four categories are the hardest to track the ROI on on a book-by-book -book basis because these are things that help you across all of your books and all of your platform, but they're also a little bit less tangible. So an example of an author asset is a high-quality author portrait. All right, a good photo of you, professional-looking photo of you that you can put on the back of your book or if you're writing nonfiction, potentially on the front of your book. Um, a, a good portrait helps increase sales, but often not in a super measurable way. It's just an asset that if you have it, it's very helpful. And the cost here is $50 to $500, depending on what kind of photographer you're working with. And we actually have a whole episode on author portraits of mistakes to avoid and tips. It's episode 98, seven tips for best-selling author portraits. Another major asset, and we've already kind of touched on this, is your knowledge and your experience and your expertise. The more professional you are, the more experienced you are, the more knowledgeable you are, the more effective everything else 
is. And again, it's a little bit of a non-tangible. But, you know, buying the the best return on investment in terms of leveling up your experience on a money perspective is listening to free podcasts like this one. And the best return on investment from a time perspective is probably reading books. There are a lot of incredible books. We have a lot of guests on the show who've written books for authors, teaching them all kinds of different things about marketing and publishing. And those books cost $5, sometimes $10, sometimes $20. These books are not expensive. And they're packed full of very useful information. And I don't have a dog in this hunt. I don't have any uh, books for authors. I'm I'm just a lowly podcaster and course creator. Um, but there are a lot of great books out there by Chris Fox and Joanna Penn and many others. Um, so, you know, invest in yourself and spend your time and money at training yourself. All right. The next author asset is a website. And if you hire somebody else to build a website for you, uh, the prices range from around $1,500 on the low end to $4,000 on the high end. Um, you can find um, website vendors on the extreme. So you can find them that are even cheaper than that, even more expensive than that. But you tend to get what you pay for uh, with website design. And sometimes you get less than what you pay for. But this is also something you can do yourself. We did a whole episode on how you can build a professional website for $432. And that's with three years of hosting. So that's cheaper potentially than going with a Wix or a Squarespace or really competitive in terms of pricing um, across those three years. So a lot of, and this is with building your website on WordPress. So uh, Wix and Squarespace some may seem cheap in the short term, but you know, $10 or $15 a month uh, really adds up uh, into a lot of money over the years. Uh, so we have an episode 144, how to build an amazing author website for $432. And I break down step by step the various uh, tools that I recommend. And the uh, final asset here in this kind of first category, things to spend money on is your email list. Uh, and I'm not going to talk about b- building the email list here, although you can spend money on that. But I'm going to just talk about the, the infrastructure. So up to if you're using MailChimp, you can have up to 2000 subscribers for free. So if, when you're first getting started, this is not something you have to pay for. But as you start to get traction, as you go over 2000 subscribers, you're going to have to pay somebody and MailChimp actually just raised their prices. Uh, and I no longer recommend MailChimp um, for anything other than their free plan. Their free plan is still great. Uh, but I now uh, recommend uh, MailerLite um, if you are, um, you know, on the kind of the low end or wanting to save money. And their plans start, I think, at $15 a month. It's very competitive price-wise. And if you're wanting something really powerful and also easy to use, ConvertKit is what I use and I love. But that's uh, a more expensive plan. It's more expensive. So if you're wanting your best bang for your buck, mail or light. There's many others though. There's lots of email vendors out there and a lot of them are good. Some of them are amazing and some of them are terrible, but they're all going to charge you (laughs) for sending email. Uh, You can't, in fact, it's potentially illegal to just BCC a bunch of people from your Outlook. Um, So don't make that mistake. Uh, Look into the can spam laws. If you're an American or if you're a European, uh, the GDPR uh, it's almost, I'm not a lawyer, and I'm certainly not an international law lawyer, but if you're a European, it's almost certainly illegal to do that. So, um, yeah, be careful. Uh, you really have to use one of these vendors, which means you have to spend money on it. 
at least after 2,000 subscribers. Uh, we have a whole episode on how to build book marketing assets and also how to reduce book marketing liabilities, which I haven't gone into in this episode, and that is episode 142. So a lot of these topics we've done previous episodes on if you want to go deeper. All right, so now we've talked about author assets. Now let's talk about book infrastructure. Uh, so the book infrastructure has is also harder to measure, but easier in some ways. So these are going to get easier and easier to measure in terms of ROI as we go. And book infrastructure, I, I kind of see as four pieces. There's the cover, uh, which is the both the front and the back. Typically, those are done together. There's the copywriting. This is the text about your book. Uh, this goes on the back of the paper copy, but more importantly for most indie authors, it's the text that goes on the Amazon page. There's the editing for the book itself, the uh, manuscript or the copy edit, the developmental edit, and the proofreading. And I recommend that you have three different editors do those three different kinds of editing. Uh, we did a, we've done a whole, several episodes on editing. Uh, you can listen to those, including like what to look for and how to find a good editor. So we have a lot of resources on novelmarketing.com. Uh, and then finally, the audiobook production. And you may be wondering, it's like, okay, I get book cover and copywriting, but what does editing an audiobook, how are those marketing expenses? Aren't those just book expenses? It's like, well, okay, that's a good question. I would argue that editing is absolutely a marketing expense uh, for this reason. Uh, the better written your book is, the more word of mouth you will get, which is a marketing benefit. But also, the better written your book is, the better reviews that you'll have, which becomes an asset, right? When people come to your book page and there's only three stars or four stars from all of these reviews of people who didn't like the book, it makes everything else harder, right? So that editing is a part of the infrastructure. And if, and if you spend money and get good editing and have a better book, uh, it really will make the rest of it easier. And the book cover is a no-brainer, and I don't think any of you need convincing that your book has to have a good book cover. Book covers cost uh, between $300 and $1,500, typically. I mean, there are people on Fiverr who will give you a book cover for, you know, 20 bucks or $50. Bucks. Uh, you have to be a little careful with those. You always want to run a Fiverr uh, book cover through Google's reverse image search to make sure they're not uh, copying somebody else's book cover which you can do in seconds, and that's free. You just do a reverse image search through Google. And if you want to know how to do that, go to Google and type in the phrase reverse image search, uh, and you it will um, show you page after page. It will show you how to do it, one of which may be from our website, authormedia.com. We did a, uh, a post on this years ago, and it still gets tons of traffic <laughs> of walking people through how to do a reverse image search on Google. Um, copywriting is another thing uh, people often don't think about budgeting for, but I do recommend hiring someone uh, to help write those two paragraphs better, uh, two or three paragraphs about your book. Uh, the better your blurb is, uh, the better, the more effective all your advertising is going to be, because that's what people read on the back of your book in the bookstore or on Amazon. Uh, but it also affects word of mouth, because if you can summarize your book in a very compelling way, it makes it easier for your readers to summarize your book in a very compelling way. And there are a lot of um, companies that do copywriting. Uh, Jim Rubart still does copywriting, and you can reach out to him through the novel marketing contact form still. I'll, I will forward on your message to Jim, and I think he offers a discount uh, for our patrons, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so th that's something that he offers, but there are others. Brian Cohen with the Sell More Book Show also does copywriting, uh, and he, he also has a course on it too where you can learn how to do it yourself. Although there is something to be said about it's hard to read the label when you're standing inside the 
bottle. So sometimes having a third party give you some ideas on copywriting can be worth it. And I'm saying this as somebody who gets third party views on my copywriting as much as possible. Because I understand the principles of writing it well, but I don't feel like I'm personally good at writing copy. Uh, hiring somebody to do copy for you is typically $250 to $500. Uh, or is the most common prices I see there. And then editing is 500 to 5,000. And then the audiobook is a thousand to five thousand dollars if you pay to get it done or free if you do it through acx.com. So ACX uh, is the audiobook exchange. It's run by Audible, which is owned by Amazon. And it's a matchmaking service between authors and narrators. And the free model, uh, is allows you to get your book placed on Audible, read by a human being for free, in exchange for you splitting the money with that human being 50-50, just for the audiobook sales. So you don't have to split your ebook sales and your uh, paper sales, just the audiobook sales. And I will say, audiobook sales help drive paper and ebook sales because there's some people that will only listen to the audiobook but if they like your book and they talk about it it helps more people hear about your book and then they buy it on ebook and paper uh, so i also see having your book exist in audio form as a marketing expense and i don't really see any excuse for an indie author not to go through acx and get it placed for free um, they, they still audition, you get to pick. There's really no reason not to have an audio version of your book. I think it's, it's very short-sighted to only have uh, an ebook and paper version. Um, but uh, if you disagree, feel free to let me know in the comments under this episode or in the chat on the Facebook group. I'd, I'd be happy to hear uh, your thinking on that. All right, so we talked about author assets. We talked about book infrastructure. You now have a book, and it looks great. It's well edited. You have a website and an email list and all of that. The next area that you can spend money on is the launch of the book. And uh, in terms of expenses, uh, review copies, if you're sending copies out to reviewers uh, like bloggers, uh, you know, budget around $7 a copy. Uh, that's including shipping uh, and labor. So it'll go up and down depending on where you're getting your book printed and how many pages your book is. But I feel like that's a, a safe uh, budget, $7, $7.50 a copy. Also, giveaway copies. If you're giving away copies on Goodreads or some other platform as a book launch promotional strategy, again, it's at seven dollars a copy. Uh, Goodreads also allows you to give away ebook copies, um, it, which doesn't cost you anything per copy, but there is a upfront cost of doing uh, Goodreads giveaways now. Back when I was a kid, it was free, but those days are over. <laughs> um, also, a PR campaign, if you're hiring a PR firm to set up a podcast tour for you or a media tour of some kind, uh, those st typically start around uh, $3,000. Uh, there are ways of doing it yourself. In fact, for our patrons, we have the um, podcast host directory that gives you the email addresses of uh, over 100,000 podcasters. And so you don't really need a PR firm to reach out to those podcasters and, and uh, pitch them to come on uh, their show. Uh, and then I, I will say, when it comes to the book launch, we also have a course that we do once a year uh, that's a really popular course called the Book Launch Blueprint. And uh, it's going to come early 2020. I, I was going to say we normally do it in January, but I have a baby coming uh, in the end of December. So January may be a little aggressive uh, for the launch of that course. I'm still talking with Jim and Mary about exactly when we're going to do it, but it'll be early 2020. In that course, unlike our other courses, everyone does day one together and does day two together, and we all go through it. 
as a group and we have a we have group discussions each day on episodes and we've gotten just incredible feedback from our students and in some ways it's our most popular course in that we have high levels of passion and we walk through how to launch a book and before during and after uh, but you don't need to go through that course uh, to learn how to launch a book. Uh, Chris Fox has a great uh, book on it on Amazon for $5. In fact, I'm uh, hoping to get him on the show soon uh, to talk about his book and about his book launch strategy. So uh, you don't have to take courses to learn something. You can always buy a book on it. All right, so that's the book launch. Now for the final section of money, and this is ongoing marketing. And this is the most important to measure because it is unlimited and unending, potentially. Right? So if you find these things work for you, you can have a book that you wrote three or four years ago, five years ago, ten years ago, that you're still making money on through effective use of ongoing marketing. Uh, but it may be that the, that book's time has come and it has gone and it doesn't make sense to spend money on it anymore. The best way to sell this book is to write another book and people who write, read that book will go back and read uh, your first book. But uh, the first uh, book marketing strategy is BookBub, and we've done an episode on this. Uh, BookBub costs between $200 and $2,500 for a traditional BookBub placement. There's also BookBub advertising, uh, which is uh, similar but also different. Uh, that also can work, but again, measure to see if it works for you. Just because it works for a guru or doesn't work for a guru doesn't mean you will have the same results. So you always want to measure. Um, also, Amazon ads. I feel like you can play with Amazon ads for $25 a month, sometimes even less. If you're in nonfiction, I think I'm spending $5 a month on Amazon ads, and I'm, I'm very happy with the results uh, that I'm getting. Facebook ads starts a little higher. $50 a month, I feel like, is uh, kind of a good amount to have significant placement in Facebook ads. Uh, you do need to spend enough money where the uh, data that you're getting back is valid. Right, so let's say you only show your ad to ten people, and none of and, and you spent ten cents, let's say, and none of those ten people clicked on your ad, and you're like, wow, I had zero percent click through rate, all of my money was wasted. This approach doesn't work, and it's like, well, you don't know that. <laughs> like, you only showed it to ten people, and you know maybe if a hundred people saw it or ten thousand people saw it, you'd have had enough people click and buy to make it worth it because it doesn't cost very much to show it to a lot of people on Facebook. So you have to be spending enough money to to know if it's working or not. And I feel like fifty dollars is the minimum. Uh, some people may say the minimum is closer to hundred, one hundred fifty, and. Um, I think part of it depends on how competitive your space is and what other authors you're bidding against and what the ads are going for. Another powerful tool for ongoing marketing is podcast guesting, being a guest on people's podcasts. And in terms of expense, this is mostly just the time and expertise, knowing how to do it, how to pitch podcasts. And then um, the one thing you do need to buy is a good microphone. So uh, you know, it's about $100 or so uh, for a good microphone. There's a microphone I recommend uh, that's even cheaper than that that I really like. It's a $60 microphone called the Samsung Q2U. I'll have a link to it in the show notes. So you just go to authormedia.com forward slash gear. I actually have a whole guide on podcast gear and what uh, to get. It doesn't take a lot of money to be a good guest. And... Um, yeah, so podcast guesting, though, is uh, it is important to have your own microphone, but that's the, the main expense. 
Uh, all right, so some things not to spend money on. Things that are in my observations, both in the tests that I've done, but also the authors that I've talked with at conferences and lots of feedback from the show and consulting that I do. These are things that in general do not pay for themselves. So the first thing on this list is a book trailer. I feel like these have mostly gone out of fashion. They were really hot for a few years. People were buying them and in pretty much every instance, they were a waste of money. Uh, it's just too different. Watching a video on YouTube is too different from reading a book. And the exception to this is if you already are a YouTube personality, if you're already a videographer and you're able to make your own book trailer, I could see spending time on a book trailer if you're already an expert. But if you're not an expert, if you're not already popular on YouTube, I would avoid this altogether especially if you're writing for an American audience. Americans have an unbelievably high standard of quality when it comes to video consumption because Americans have Hollywood and Hollywood spends the most money of any industry on film. So there's lots of film industries around the world and none of them spend the kind of money on film that Hollywood does. It's not uncommon for Hollywood to spend $100 million on a movie. That's like normal nowadays. And when somebody is used to seeing $100 million movies, which means every minute of that movie, like a million dollars went into that minute, there's just no way for your book trailer to feel professional for that kind of audience if you don't have a lot of training. Uh, another thing that's a waste of money is a marketing package from the company that printed your book. Uh, this is going away as more people are using Ingram Spark and Amazon uh, KDP Print, uh, which are the two uh, indie printing services that I, I recommend. These don't try to sell you any scammy marketing packages, but if you're with, I mean, hopefully you're not, but some people publish with an author solutions company like Westbow or Ex Libris, or they have lots of different company names and they all are the same um, really terrible level of service. And these marketing packages are uh, a terrible waste of money. You'd be much better off hiring people individually to do these tasks. And, and they often, you know, they'll charge you $500 to write up a press release for you, which is a $25 task, and they're often hiring a $25 person to do that task. So it doesn't make sense uh, to spend $500 on that. Uh, blog tours also generally uh, don't work from a financial perspective. I wouldn't spend money on a blog tour, especially for fiction. Uh, if you're writing nonfiction, a blog tour can work, especially if you are Oh, touring blogs that are already writing about your topic. Uh, so if your book is about politics and you are going on a tour of the popular political blogs for your political faction, that kind of blog tour could work. Or if your book is on parenting and you're going on a tour of mommy blogs, that, that could work. Um, because it's a target-rich environment, the blog already has credibility and they're granting you that credibility. That works. Uh, but for fiction... Uh, I see a lot of people making money, and it's not the authors. <laughs> it is the uh, blog tour hosts. Um, and if, if somebody can show me numbers proving me wrong, I'm very happy to see those numbers because I realize I'm stepping on some toes when I say this, uh, but I have yet to see anyone demonstrate that blog tours financially are viable. 
Uh, whereas I've done my own tests with, say, BookBub campaigns, and I don't, and I've almost never lost money on a BookBub campaign. And when I did, it was with a book that nothing else worked for that book. Either the book was just a dud. <laughs> there was no marketing that could make it make money. Um, but uh, with the exception of that one book, I've made money every time I've done a campaign on BookBub. Like it is a repeatable, solid strategy that's reproducible. You can do it multiple times for the same book and you make money every time. Uh, the challenge, of course, is getting BookBub to accept you, but that is a topic for another episode. Uh, another thing I would not spend money on is a trade show or anything related to a trade show. So sometimes uh, I will see authors, they'll have a booth at a trade show, especially trade shows for other authors. Authors are terrible at buying each other's books. Unless your book is about writing and marketing, other authors aren't going to buy your book. Uh, the potential exception to this is certain kind of book fairs can work occasionally. Um, so for every author I see who does this successfully, I feel like I find many more who does who do this and they fail at it. But um, the one uh, space I have seen people make this work is if you have a lot of books that target the homeschool market, uh, homeschool buyers are voracious and actually buy in person at book fairs still. And that can work. Uh, but with that exception, trade shows generally are not a good strategy. And, and part of it's because they're just so expensive. Trade show booths start at $500. They can be thousands of dollars depending on the trade show. Then you have to pay to fly yourself to the trade show and you have to pay for a hotel. And when you're done, you've spent $10,000. And even if you set, sell a thousand books, let's say, which would be an incredible success at the trade show, that still didn't pay for your $10,000 trip to the trade show. You're still uh, losing money. Uh, although I will say one additional exception to this is if you're speaking at the trade show. And I have done tours. I, I did a, a tour with an author who spoke at a major event. It was a basketball arena full of people. He had a booth there in kind of the trade show area, and he sold Ten, twenty, thirty thousand dollars worth of books and DVDs and other products over the course of that weekend. But it was because he was on stage and everyone knew who he was, and he was a really good speaker, and he was able to drive the traffic uh, through the booth. So, with with a lot of these, what you'll find is that there's a person who's able to make it work, and often they will go and say, "Everyone should do what I did." But the reason they made it work is because of some unfair advantage they have, some you know special skill or special connection. And if you don't have that same unfair advantage, it won't work for you. Yeah, so that's why I don't recommend trade shows. Another thing I don't recommend is book signing tours. Um, book signing tours typically only work for the authors who don't need to go on them. So book signing tours are not a way of getting new people to discover your book. They're a way to connect with the people who are already fans of your writing. So if you're J.K. Rowling, a book signing tour can be a great way of connecting with your readers and building buzz. You know, maybe you get some local press, uh, but it's not a way for an author who's just getting started to spread the word. Because just because the author's in the bookstore signing books doesn't mean anyone wants to buy those books. And it's they're painful. And, and off, authors often hate themselves. Um, because they're, you know, after they do the first one and they, they sat at a table for two hours and no one came by, or one or two people came by, but it still didn't pay for itself. And they realize their tour calls for them to do this 19 more times. It's just the most miserable experience. And I was talking with a PR firm a couple months ago, and they were talking about how they went on tours. And I just kind of paused. I'm like, book signing tours. I'm like, how'd that work out? And and she, you know, this person kind of hemmed and hawed, and they finally admitted it didn't. <laughs> the, um, and the, the author spent a ton of money, and it didn't pay for itself. So book signing tours, I don't recommend. I also don't recommend TV ads. 
Um, you occasionally will see authors who buy advertisements for their book on TV, and I just don't feel like the kind of people who watch TV are the kind of people who buy books enough to justify the incredible expense for TV ads. Now, TV and, and radio ads as well. I'll kind of talk about these together. Radio ads also don't work for a book. And TV and radio ads in general don't work for product advertising for the most part. Some people are able to do product advertising successfully on these platforms, but TV and radio are more for building brands. And, and when you're building a brand like Coca-Cola and you want your brand to be the first thing that people think of, uh, it's, it's for that kind of advertising. When someone goes into the store, they recognize the name of your product and they choose that over the others. Those are the kinds of uh, companies that are able to make TV and radio work. Uh, they're not for the author who's trying to buy $500 worth of ads to sell $600 worth of books. It's, it's not the platform for that. Uh, so those are the things to avoid uh, spending money on. Our sponsor today is a tax and business guide for authors. This is a course that I put together with my dad, who's a CPA, who's been working with authors and writers and celebrities for over 35 years. Longer than I have been alive, he's been working with authors, uh, helping them pay uh, the legally required minimum of taxes um, and, and helping them navigate uh, the business world. So in this course, we talk about 19 tax deductions that authors can take advantage of. We talk about how to reduce your likelihood of being audited. We talk about how how and when to start an LLC, and a whole lot more. If you're ready for the business side of writing, and if you're really about to start spending some money, knowing whether or not the IRS considers you a business and whether or not you can even take tax deductions is an important thing to learn, and it's something that we cover in this course. You can learn more at authortaxtips.com. And uh, our patrons say 50%. So if you're a patron, go to the list of patron discounts on patreon.com and use one of those links and you can get the course for much cheaper. Uh, and our speaking of patrons, our featured patron today is the award-winning Cheryl Elton, who's the author of Pathway of Peace, Living in a Growing Relationship with Christ. It's a book that will help you calm the noises in your mind and experience more of God's peace. So thank you, Cheryl, for being a patron of the Novel Marketing Podcast and helping keep us on the air. I very much appreciate uh, you and all of the others who uh, donate so generously to the show. And if you're curious about how to become a Novel Marketing patron, you can find out more in the show notes at novelmarketing.com. So uh, a few weeks ago, I guess a couple of months ago now, we had a horde of wasps that moved in to our yard, both the front yard and the backyard. We had all of these uh, nests. And for a long time, I ignored them. Uh, and, you know, I got opportunities to observe wasps. And I will say, wasps are so lazy. They like spend most of the day just like hanging out, not doing anything in their nest. Uh, but the problem with wasps, as I later learned, is that they will sting you for no good reason. You're, <laughs> you're minding your own business, and they will just sting you. And I got a terrible sting. And I was like, that's it. So I'm sorry to offend any of our environmental listeners, but I had no mercy on those wasps after that sting. Because I imagine one of them stinging my daughter. And I'm like, that's it. Uh, and I genocided the whole nest, front yard and backyard. Because <laughs> I wanted uh, to keep uh, my daughter safe. And also because I was angry. Because <laughs> I had been stung. And I'm like, I want humans to be back on the top of the food chain. And it's, it is not right for such a small creature to cause so much pain. Because it hurt like a shocking amount and itched for 
weeks afterwards. Uh, but what's interesting is that after I genocided these wasps, we had a hive of honeybees move in. It's almost like the wasps were keeping the bees away. And so a hive of honeybees moved into the retaining wall on the side of our backyard. And I didn't even know that bees can burrow. Like they dug themselves a hole in this like stone and gravel wall. And there's like this big pile of gravel uh, below the hive. And the thing that's really struck me observing these bees is that they are unbelievably busy. So while the wasps are like goofing off all day, the bees are like constantly going, coming and going. It's like an airport and there's constant takeoffs and landings as these bees are coming and going and pollinating and I guess putting honey inside of this rock wall. And uh, what's what's interesting is that the, my reaction to these bees has been very different because I, I like bees and I also appreciate, especially honeybees, are, are very uh, friendly, right? They don't bother you if you don't bother them. They're not going to sting you for no reason. Often when a bee stings you, uh, it, it it's sacrificing its life to do so. And so they're only going to sting you as a last resort, typically to defend the hive. And that's a, a motivation I can understand, right? Defending your home. Uh, I, I too, uh, you know, want my home to be a safe place. Uh, the problem though is that my wife, my pregnant wife, is allergic to bee stings. So uh, we're looking into uh, getting somebody to come out and find a way to remove bees safely, if that can even be done from a rock wall. Like, I don't even know how you dig them out. But we've uh, found some uh, nonprofits online that will help relocate them because uh, bees do an important thing for the environment, and um, they're uh, they're, just, they're just important, and, and we like them. And, and I don't know if there's a, a moral of the story per se, uh, but I guess if there is one, it's that while both bees and wasps are stinging, pollinating insects, my reaction to them is very different, right? I could very easily kill these bees, but instead, we're going to potentially spend a lot of money to keep them alive while also moving them away. And I, th I guess the, the, the reason is the mindset, right? That since bees are friendlier, it causes me to want to be friendlier to them, whereas wasps are obnoxious jerks. <laughs> I'm sorry, but they just, they just are not friendly. And, um, they're threatening in the worst kind of way. So a bee is threatening in a way that, you know, there's very clear boundaries, right? You leave their hive alone, you leave their honey alone, they'll leave you alone. But wasps are just looking for somebody to harm. <laughs> or at least that's how I feel after I got stung. Perhaps I'm a little bit biased. Anyway, uh, that's the latest from the home front. Uh, if you have a question that you'd like me to answer on a future episode, do give us a call. Uh, the phone number for the listener helpline is 512-827-8377. And if you, uh, like me, do not like talking on the telephone, you can also upload an MP3 to novelmarketing.com forward slash contact, which is really fun. I really like it when people upload MP3s because it's a higher quality audio because phones are, are not great. Uh, but anyway, uh, either way, I'd love to answer your question on a future episode. Uh, you have been listening to Thomas Umstead Jr. on the Novel Marketing Podcast, giving you innovative ideas on how to promote yourself and your writing offline, online, and everywhere in between. Thanks for listening.